Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, we cap off our uh, month of remakes with a movie that we teased. We teased it uh, last episode. We said uh, this is probably one of the most notorious remakes. We had a few guesses actually come through. But uh, nobody guessed. Oh, wait, before you say, I didn't see that. Who, what were the guesses? Oh, somebody guessed, uh, I'm sorry, there was one guess that came through, and that was the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Which is also <laughs> terrible, notoriously bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't even seen it. Oh, don't, it don't, it's awful. I When we talked about doing this month, that was one of the ones, I'm like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine. Well, this movie, as soon as I heard it had come out, and this was uh, almost 20 years ago, well, 15 years ago, I was uh, completely unenthusiastic about it because it was a remake of one of my all-time favorite movies and one that we've done before on this podcast, and that is uh, the 2006 version of The Wicker Man starring Nicolas Cage Uh and directed by Neil Laboot. Yeah. This movie gets no love. It has been mocked in memes and videos and things ever since it came out. It has kind of gone gone down, not just as a bad remake, but just as a bad movie. Yeah. And early when we were talking about remakes, you know, I remember you asked me, what do you think about remakes? And we were both pretty kind to the idea of remakes. You know, we both said, oh, who cares? Like, you want to remake yeah. a movie, sometimes it it deserves it or needs it. I never felt that this movie ever deserved a remake. The the original Wicker Man, and, and you can go back and listen to our episode on it, but I gushed all over it in that episode. It's just an interesting, odd, uh-huh. beautiful piece of filmmaking that's got a lot of different things going on. It's just intriguing, I think, from beginning to end. You just don't know what's happening, what's going on, and there's music in it. And yeah, there's... that's what I was going to say. It's weird, but for whatever reason, it works. Now, I've only yeah. seen it. I've only seen it the one time that we watched it for the show. Um, but I do remember it being weird. But I like there is like a whole musical number, right? Like in the in the bar, multiple. Yeah, in the bar on the maypole. There's right. kind of a dance and, and singing scene out outside where the girls are running naked and jumping around a fire. It's yep, yep. all through it, you know? And the opening credit scenes um, sequence has this gorgeous song over it. It It's just a movie that defies description, really. Right. In such a good way. And like you said, it, it shouldn't work, but it does. It's just so oddball, but it just works beautifully. Well, and somehow it managed to still be suspenseful. And and uh, I don't know about scary, but, you know, I it was intriguing. You know, I was definitely, yeah. like, in it for the ride uh, and, and was curious as to how things were going to play out. Yeah. Well, it's a mystery, in a way. Yeah. And this movie is such a... I don't know. Like, it doesn't stray that far. Like, it changes some central things. Oh, God. But it doesn't really stray <laughs> all that far. Like, I read somewhere that something like 80% of the dialogue is verbatim from the original. A lot of it is. Sometimes in different contexts, but still, uh, 80%, that's a lot. So, you would think that... <sighs> You would think that somehow it would translate and hopefully even be better 
it just it just it's awful. <laughs> Not just as a remake, it's just an awful movie. And, you know, I'm going back to, again, we were very kind to the idea of remakes. And one thing that we had kind of both agreed on was, you know, the original's still out there. Yeah. So if you want to remake it, go ahead and remake it. It's not like you can't, it's not like it erases the the original from the map. But I have to amend that a little bit. Because I think part of what makes us a little feel a little cringy about remakes is this thought that remakes are here to expose, one thing you had said, to expose like a new generation to an older story. Yeah. And I just can't think of anything sadder than a new generation <laughs> being like, oh, I heard The Wicker Man's like this amazing classic movie. Oh, let me go find, oh, here we go. Well, it's a remake. It's going to be, you know, oh, I'll just watch this one instead. And then you can't go back and watch the original after you've watched this. I know what you mean. Yeah. You can enjoy it. But you won't want to. <laughs> I yeah, I don't want this to be anyone's first exposure to the wonderful, odd treasure that the original Wicker Man is. Because this movie is so not a treasure <laughs> in any way, shape, or form, except just kind of an encapsulation of what I love about Nicolas Cage and his weirdness. It's just a movie to laugh at and scratch your head at, because it is just hilariously bad from start to finish it is it's a real head scratcher though because it shouldn't be so bad like no we can we can say lots of things about nick cage you know he's definitely got his we've said this before he's got his own style of acting it's unique to him he's built an a huge successful career on it, it, it the, the guy's talented everybody gives him so much crap i i don't care like everybody's got their thing nicholas cage has his thing sean connery has his thing like right. so many actors have their thing why does everybody hate on nicholas cage so much i don't know i don't understand it I, I think maybe he's kind of an easy target which i don't really get because i i do think that he's very talented but he's a little bit eccentric you know both on screen and off and but he doesn't at least anything that i've seen him on he knows how he's perceived and yeah. uh he doesn't care and he works in movies you know with people who appreciate him and where he can showcase his odd talent especially lately he's been doing a lot in horror and sci-fi and some really interesting yeah interesting stuff mm -hmm. i've seen a couple of those movies and yeah it's nick cage it, it you're going to get what you get from Nick Cage, but they're interesting movies. So that's one. He, you know, he's good. Um, and then you've got other really good people in this too. Like it's chock full of good people. Yeah, like Ellen Burstyn. What are you doing in this movie? I, I don't understand it. <laughs> right. And and I and I felt like she didn't really understand what movie she was in. Like no, I I thought that she thought it was very serious. <laughs> and and don't get me wrong she is just stunningly beautiful uh in this movie like she's an older woman and and just strikingly gorgeous and and she looks great and she doesn't do anything wrong but why are you in this movie and then francis conroy i love francis conroy uh mm -hmm. she's done a lot with american horror story but she's been around forever she played mrs putnam in the crucible and she was on six feet under she she's been around she's great and many many other recognizable faces on top of that Neil LeBute was really kind of an up-and-coming director at the time mm-hmm want to hear a fun story yeah I've met Neil LeBute. In 2001, 
I was studying abroad in London, and I was studying theater, and, and we went to plays, multiple plays, every day. Neil LeBute was directing a play at the Almeida Theater called The Shape of Things, um, starring Paul Rudd, Rachel Weisz, Gretchen Mole, and one other guy whose name I can't think of. And I went and saw the show, and it was a really cool show. It was a medium-sized theater. It wasn't tiny, but it was fairly intimate, and the, the play was done in the round. I was sitting there with my sister and a friend who were there uh, on the same trip as I was. We were sitting directly across from Alan Rickman. Oh, wow. Which was really cool. And uh, after the show... The cast and the director did a meet and greet. So I met Paul Rudd and Rachel Weisz and all of them. Paul Rudd was kind. Um, It was obvious that he wasn't into this whole meet and greet. I think they had to do it every night. Mm -hmm. And it was obvious that he wasn't into it. But it seemed like the reason he wasn't into it was because... It was his birthday, and his mom and a lot of the rest of his family was there, like standing off mm. in the wings, watching while people were like getting pictures with him and stuff. It just, he was really, really nice and friendly, but it was pretty obvious that he would rather just be hanging out with his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Weiss, not so friendly, also clearly not into it, <laughs> and uh, wow. um, not really afraid to show it. And Gretchen Mole was the probably the least famous of the four people in the cast and I saw her off uh, at the bar sitting by herself so I went over and had a drink with her which was really cool and a fun story to tell but I also met Neil LeBute he was a youngish guy I don't know how old he would have been uh, at the time Um, but he was really nice too a little bit smelly. Uh, I don't know if he was nervous or what, but he was really sweaty. Uh, I, I had the whole cast and him sign my program, and he was so sweaty that he like smudged his uh, autograph. Um, but nice guy, and kind like what he was kind of known for. I don't know if he's done much. I think he still writes a lot, but I don't know if he directs much. He was kind of known for really compelling human drama. And the play I saw, The Shape of Things, was a really, really compelling human drama. And so when I saw that he was the director, which I didn't know going in, I thought, well, this is cool because he can make this, you know, he he will do a good job of having really interesting, dynamic characters and and it'll be kind of this human drama. And I was just so disappointed. It just, the whole thing seems really kind of, pedestrian and nothing special like you said it's just kind of a bad movie i think that i wouldn't have such negative feelings about it if it weren't a remake of a movie that's really kind of considered a cult classic and that so many people cherish you know if this were just a movie on its own i could watch it and be like oh that was stupid but whatever it's just another stupid movie i almost You know, I was thinking of you and and how fond you are of the first one, and I almost got a little bit mad because I felt like this movie was kind of making a mockery of the first one. Yeah. I don't get it. Why would you make a remake of a movie that you know is well-loved by at least some certain niche group? just to make fun of it. And and what I read was that, you know, everybody does make fun of it, and they say that it's unintentionally hilarious because of um, Cage's, you know, melodramatic antics or whatnot. And years later, he did a bunch of interviews where he said, Ugh, 
that was on purpose. Uh, yeah. We, we knew exactly. They realized exa- we're making this absurdist yeah, black comedy. Right. And uh, he said, you know, it, it, it would have been much more clear if the producers had allowed us to do what we wanted to do. Um, apparently, he wanted to wear a handlebar mustache throughout. Oh, God. And then he also wanted to be burned in the bear suit because he thought the ridiculous nature of that would just make the whole thing much more horrifying. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if he started saying that after Midsummer came out because that's how, in part, how Midsummer ends. But ah, it just made, even hearing or, or reading those interviews where he said, oh, we knew what we were doing. We knew that it was, you know, black comedy. That almost made me more mad. <laughs> yeah, like, why are you doing it then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's not billed as a comedy. You look at the poster art, you look at the trailers and things like that, and it's really hard for me to believe this because there's so much absurdity in here that just defies description. Like, it's not clever. It just comes across as incompetent filmmaking. Like, there's a moment where, and it's so quick that I don't even understand it, where there's like a dead guy on the beach and he reaches in and shakes him for a second. Like, like he thinks he's going to wake him up where he's, he's <laughs> this guy could not be more dead. I laughed out loud at that scene. And there was so much other stuff like this, you know, just little things slipped in huge plot holes. Oh, and I don't even think the movie has an internal consistency for the themes that it's that it's trying to go for. I think Neil LeBute has also been accused of being misogynistic in some of his previous works. And even at the time this movie was coming out and they were doing interviews for this movie, people were asking him point blank, you know, you've been accused of misogyny in the past. How would you, you know, describe this movie? And he says, oh, well, you know, this movie, you know, kind of flips that idea on its head. And I hope you can see through that. You know, it almost seemed like he's trying so hard to change the original Wicker Man into this to like a a response <laughs> because in in the original wicker man you know it's this summer's isle this place right that that everybody there is fine and happy and kind of doing their own thing and this inspector comes along and just kind of like starts being irritated at their lifestyle essentially just accusing people of things and pointing fingers all to get to the bottom of this mystery of this missing girl and yes, the townspeople are being weird and cagey, and the things that one person is saying don't seem to match up with what another person is saying, and then sometimes a person will kind of change their tune in the middle of a conversation, but and it just draws you into the mystery more, like, what is going on with these people? But you never get the sense, you, you've, you're like, okay, if something sinister is happening here, like, it's hidden. Right. In this movie, it's like... He goes out of his way to paint these people as not just sinister, but mean. Like, these people, like, their whole day is nothing but them scheming and conniving something. Because every person that Nicolas Cage encounters in his investigation at this on this island is, like, cackling or being really snide and, and saying things with clear double entendres or hidden meanings or just not answering his question. And then he's, like, the worst investigator of the world 
by not pursuing it any further and just like, okay, well, that was weird. And just continuing to wander around on his bike. On his bike. And a grown <sighs> man in a suit on an old-fashioned bike will never not be funny. Like, every <laughs> every time he hopped on that bike, I just thought it was hilarious. And my favorite was at one point he stole the bike. I mean, he had to. I, yeah, I guess he stole right. them all because they weren't his. But, like, I, I feel like at one point he just straight up took some lady's bike. Step away from the bike. (laughs) Well, he is a cop, I guess, but I mean... I I guess he's a highway patrolman. Like, what? (laughs) Like, all of a sudden you're a detective? No, sir. These are not the same things. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, that explains why he's a shitty detective. Let's put it that way. Like, he keeps brandishing, like, I'm the law. No, you're not. Like, you, you are a highway patrolman on leave. Like, you have no authority here. Go home. <laughs> yeah, and he's also not even kind of like, in the first movie, now, we don't really see the beginnings of the guy being sent the letter. We just see him as he lands. But you get, you know, he's in his his official outfit. He's in a, pro- a police investigator. He's I'm there on the authority of the crown and all this stuff. You know, it's like you get the idea he's officially been sent there to deal with the situation because he's gotten this random letter. And so he's been assigned to take care of it. Whereas in this movie, Nicolas Cage personally gets delivered this odd letter from what turns out to be like his fiance, his ex-fiance. It's saying that her daughter is missing. It just instantly personalizes it. Uh-huh. And so immediately the tone of the movie is so different from the first one. And then as the movie goes on, you realize that this daughter is his. It's Which so clunky. Is so obvious. It is clunky, but it's also oh. obvious. Like that that's never even a point of discussion. Like clearly he must have some general idea of how long ago it was when they broke up. And right. so he never puts two and two together that this little girl is the exact age that she would be. Uh, it's You're right. It is. It's clunky and stupid. And in the first one, the uh, conflict, I guess, between the Islanders and the detective is that he's a Puritan. Like he is yeah. like uber, uber religious, no sex before marriage, no drinking, nothing. And they are pagans and very, you know, free spirited, free love, you know all this kind of stuff one with nature yeah yeah in this one it's that he is a man and they are all women yes (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it's so stupid and it's played stupid too all the women are just snide and nasty and there are men there but they're i guess we're supposed to believe that their tongues have been cut out I think so. It's never stated directly. Well, one of them kind of like mumbles at some Mm. point, which it sounded like his tongue had been cut out. But yeah, they don't respond to questions or anything. There hardly ever. There are hardly any men in the movie, and when you see them, they are just in the background. I don't. I mean, at least once you're on the island, I don't think any of the men speak ever. Yeah, Uh, and and you just see them. I was going to say they're mules, um, but they're not. They're worker bees because this is a beehive. The island is a beehive, and there's a queen, and the men are the worker bees. (laughs) But it's so stupid because she continually refers to the girls as as her hive. I I think this isn't even internally consistent because there's only one queen in a hive. Uh If you're trying to make, you know, this male-female thing, okay, I get it. All the men and all the bees are men except for one, and they're the drones, and they just serve the queen bee. Well, that's the hive, though. 
don't call all your female followers and compatriots part of the hive. They're not. It, it's just a very imperfect metaphor. I think it's kind of ham-fisted in there for what they're trying to accomplish. And, and this just begs the question, I think when you're doing remakes, like you got to decide what are you going to change and why. You should have a reason for changing certain things. And I'm not against changing stuff. Get a different angle on the story, get a different take, explore different themes, modernize it, whatever. Yeah. But I'm just scratching my head why they chose such a weird and difficult thing as to change the original story, which was that this this island has a... It's basically apples. They're really, really known for apples. They're, like, branded, and it's, like, these beautiful harvests that they get every year, and that's how the islanders, who are otherwise isolated, you know, make all their money. And so it's very, very important that their yearly harvest of apples comes through. Why would you change that into beekeeping? Mm. Because... I mean, be I, I might be I, maybe I don't know enough about beekeeping, but is beekeeping a cyclical thing? Like, do you have a harvest of honey that comes at once a year, and then the rest of the year the bees are making it? I don't think so, right? Aren't they just always making honey? Yeah, I don't really know. I have beekeeper friends, but they could tell me, but I I don't know. But I, the reasoning behind it is because bees are a matriarchal society. But you're right, it doesn't, as I understand it, there's only one female bee, like, yeah. which is what you were just saying. There's only one, and the rest are men. So the metaphor doesn't really fully extend, but I think that's what they were going for. They're like, well, bees, for sure. it's bees, they're matriarchal. Okay, that we'll, we'll go for that. <laughs> <laughs> now let's make the bee things, and now let's just shovel Women, this in. Women, feminism, Go. you know in the first movie there's that moment where and it's more subtle i mean nothing's really subtle but it's played better more naturally i think in the first movie where the detective comes in and he goes to the bar and he's asking questions and he notices on the wall all these photographs of the harvest and there's one person in town who is the photographer and they take pictures of the harvest every year. By the way, this made a lot more sense, you know, in 1974 or whatever than it does in 2006. But so there's one person in town who knows how to take pictures. <laughs> and he takes a picture of the harvest every year and it's put up on the wall in the tavern. But there's the latest one is missing. And that's kind of central to the mystery. Why is the latest one missing? And in all these photos, you know, it's girls displayed with, you know, the harvest, uh-huh. like with abundance of, of stuff around them. And in this one, it's just photos of girls standing in, like, rings of flowers. Like, every one of them is identical. Yeah. And when he does find the missing photo, I was intensely curious, like, how's he going to notice? You know, what's the clue he's going to get from this photo? Because in the previous movie, you could see the woman, the girl standing there, and there are hardly any apples around her. And so he's like, oh, this is the year that the harvest was bad. But just by looking at the photo in this one, he like sees the photo, flips it, I guess, to a note written on the back that just says the the worst harvest on record or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, oh, God, it's just again, like it's just so clunky. Like, yeah. why, why do you change things and make it harder for yourself to make a good movie? It feels like an afterthought. Oh, now, now that you say that. uh I, I really hadn't read that Neil LeBute had been accused of misogyny, but now that you said it, it's in my head. And you're right. All the women are kind of, well, <laughs> they're men haters. I mean, that they just 
are. I, I I'm not. <laughs> it's it's blatant on its face. It's not like oh, I'm yeah. in, It's not like I'm they interpreting it, it in that way. Like they seem to literally hate men, and that's that's not a good look from a male uh, director because no. they're they're all kind of shrewy and bitchy, and then you pit. Nick Cage against them, and he automatically becomes misogynistic and sexist. And the way that he communicates with these women is... Now, to be fair, he's not greeted. He's not welcomed. But he's hostile with them, too. There's yeah. there's one scene in particular where he walks into this woman's schoolhouse, and <laughs> she's stern with him, but he is straight-up rude, like, yeah. just really aggressive with her. And then, like, he addresses her students and goes back, and she's got some big, like verse of poetry or something written on the board and he picks up his eraser and erases it and as a school teacher watching this i'm sitting here thinking how dare you like erase this without asking how dare you erase my board address my students barge into my classroom unannounced you're a complete stranger and and he's just rude to her uh, again she's presented as being very combative and shrewish also but yeah it's not a good look no i don't i don't understand what the point is like what point is he trying to make i feel like there's some interesting dichotomy between you know strict puritanism and paganism what's the dichotomy here i don't get it yeah exactly he's just mad that they're sort of anti-man but it's it's not the running theme of the movie either, right? It's like this scene is especially true. In the first movie, this scene, and, and that's what makes it so different, right? Is that the people are, they're not unwelcoming to the inspector in the first movie. They're, they're not, not assholes hostile, to him. Right. No, they're just cagey. Yeah. But, but part of why they're cagey, well, we know why they're being cagey. I mean, they're also deliberately being cagey. But they're also the things that they're saying kind of make sense within their belief system. Like, he says, she's dead. And they're like, no, she's not dead. And he's like, what are you talking about? Where is she? Well, she's in the ground. You mean she's dead? Well, actually, we don't use that term, that she's dead, because this isn't our belief that people actually die. They get reincarnated. So there's kind of this sort of explanation behind it that kind of makes sense. And the people are very patient with him in explaining this, particularly the school teacher. This is one of those scenes where the dialogue between the old one and the new one are almost identical. And the school teacher in this movie is played by Molly Parker. It was so cool to see her in this. And she she performs well in this movie. She's always good. I don't know her. Oh, God. She's been in... Oh, she's one of those like p- people I recognize her face. I'm like, oh man, every time I see her, I love to I love to watch her, but I can't she's remember pretty. exactly what I know her from the most. Some TV show. Anyway... She was great doing what she needed to do, but she's bitchy and hostile to- towards him. And this other guy in the first movie comes and interrupts this woman's class, but she's smiling and she's patient and she's nice and she calls him outside to explain to him. And it's like, sir, maybe we need to step outside and I'll explain it to you out there. And then they have a nice little scene. Now, he's still appalled by everything, you know, because she's been teaching the class about phallic symbols and, and the fertility rights and things like that. But in this one... She's like, we need to go outside, grabs him out there. And she's just looks like she's on the verge of tears and wanting to punch him out just because he's a man. Basically, it's just so shallow compared to what we get in the first movie, even though the scenes are written exactly the same. They are played so differently that 
like you said, I think the words that you use that it makes a mockery of the first movie is very on point. <laughs> it yeah. really is. It makes me mad. Me, me too, kind of. And I don't even care that much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't going to get mad about it, but now I am kind of mad yeah. about it. <laughs> but the, like, the, the inspector in the first movie also doesn't, he doesn't understand or agree with their way of life, but he doesn't approach them disrespectfully. And, like, he's not, I don't know. I mean, he can yeah. be a little bit stern when he well, talks to some of them. But he's respectful and, and almost, he's got a charm to him. Yeah, he's very sympathetic. He's very sympathetic. He's got a charm to him. And there's just more, by adding this the connection between him and this woman, then that removes the opportunity for his kind of flirtatious thing with... Was it the barmaid that he kind of had a flirty thing going on with in the first Yeah, movie? the barmaid's in the original. Her name was Willow. And so, yeah, she was the one oh, who okay. was kind of tempting him throughout the movie. In this one, uh, the barmaid is uh, played by a woman. Oh, gosh, I'm going to look her up. Uh, Diane Delano or Delano. Um, and I recognized her right away. She was the bus driver from Jeepers Creepers 2. Um, oh. But I just thought it was funny because in the original she's kind of almost this comical alpine swiss yes. <laughs> swiss miss kind of uh, in, like in lederhosen or something um <laughs> right. and and she's very sexy like wasn't that woman like a oh, play, yeah. playmate or something yeah, i don't remember was... but anyway diane delano is a a, a big <laughs> like hulking woman <laughs> yeah very intimidating i almost i found that kind of humorous to kind of flip that a little bit and i like yeah. her she's she's a funny actor she doesn't have much to do here but yeah i don't know i mean what do you say about the plot like okay so i guess we should talk about one another big difference is they give him a tragic backstory which i don't really it seems forced and stupid and mm. uh, and unnecessary like it doesn't yeah. ultimately lead to anything I thought it was going to tie in somewhere. It's just confusing. Yeah. You know, okay, so he's a traffic cop. He gets behind this station wagon, and a doll falls out the window, and he picks it up, and he pulls him over, and it's like this single mom, and she's like, oh, we've been in the, we've been on the road for a long time, and, and the daughter's bored, and um, the daughter's kind of bratty, and he gives her the doll back, and she throws it out the window again, and he goes into the highway without looking idiot (laughs) to pick it up and i guess kind of the implication is that this semi-truck maybe had to swerve to avoid hitting him and so instead yeah it crashed into the station wagon and everything blew up and he tried to like he busted through the back windshield and was reaching for the girl but then the whole thing blew up and he got blown back into the highway and they're presumably dead okay fine well so then he's messed up by that and that's when he gets this letter and decides to go off on this investigation doesn't make any sense but then he also continues having flashbacks to it and they are so clunky Mm. Like, they don't even look good. Like, they're in they're this weird. weird black and white. The first one is when he's on the ferry. It's not even to the island. He eventually has to, you know, like, charter a plane. He gets to the island or whatever. Um, but he's on a ferry somewhere, and he sees a little girl standing at the rails, a little blonde girl, just like the girl in the car. And I and it, like, flashes to black and white, and then he sees the semi hit her on the ferry, like, right in front of him. 
super weird. And then he continues to have these flashbacks, and, like, the little girl is in his flashbacks. The little girl disappears like she's not there anymore. I still have no idea what all of this was about, because it doesn't... Re- you kept thinking it was somehow going to be connected, but it never was. It just seems like, and, and, and you're right, and there are reasons why we think it's connected. Number one, that little girl looks like every just other like, little girl on that island. Right. She looks a lot like the Rowan, the girl he's looking for. She's wearing a red cardigan, I believe, in the car and in his flashbacks, which just like the girl that he's On the island, for, right. On the island. So I, I thought there would be some literal connection there. It just seems to just, A, chew up the scenery and B, serve to say to maybe show us that he's troubled by his inability to save this girl. And so this is his redemption as he's going to work his darndest to save this other girl. But it's no longer needed because he now already has a reason, right? Yeah. Fifteen minutes into the movie, we find out, no, this girl's his own daughter. So. Oh, it's later. They draw it out way longer than that. But yeah, like, that's true. The, the, the lady, Willow, played by Kate B.N., I don't know anything about her. She's excited from the fact that she's... Very, very beautiful. But she's shady, too. Yes. And he doesn't even care. <laughs> no. And, 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 like, it seems like he, he is willing to overlook how incredibly shady she's being. And by shady, I mean that she just plays dumb. Like, every yeah. time that he asks her about anything, she's like, I don't know. It's, it's a picture. That's all. No, that is not all. Why didn't you tell me Rome was a part of all this, huh? The rituals. I I don't know. Well, try, because I'm out there bouncing around in circles, and I can use a little help. Edward, why are you yelling at me? How about this, for starters? Our daughter is part of your worst harvest on record. Now, you said before that they blamed her, so why didn't you tell me about this? It's just, it's it's a ceremony that we have. I don't know anything else. You live here. (laughs) It's so annoying. (laughs) Or doesn't answer... Or walks away or something like that. Right. And he's like, all right. And then he hops on his bike and wanders around the <laughs> island some more. I like, know. But it's like he's willing to overlook all of that because there's maybe some chance that they're going to hook up. <laughs> like, Yeah. The, it's uh, And he, she's the only woman that he's nice to. It, it doesn't seem weird to him at all. That they met, had this love affair, she disappeared, was gone forever, and is now contacting him, and playing totally dumb. Like, she had this baby on this island and has been living there for at least seven years, and anytime he asks her about it, he goes, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What? (laughs) You live here. I don't believe for a second that you don't know what's going on. You guys know each other to the point of engagement, right? They were engaged at one point. This is the first he's hearing about this island that she grew up on that's so freaking weird in this cult or whatever that she grew up in. I don't know. Maybe she didn't tell him. I mean, that... It's possible. Because, I mean, God, spoiler alert, who cares? She's been playing him literally... The whole time. Like, yeah. this This is a long game that they are playing, which also <laughs> is bullshit. Like, it, right. this, the, the whole motivation of this is so stupid. Um, I guess, I don't know, eventually he meets up, like, he does lots of investigating, he investigates the school, it's all really stupid, everybody's really shady, he meets up with some men on the road. I thought it was hilarious, this scene where... He meets he up with the these. Guy. Yeah, where he helps the guy. Okay, so there's this uh, like 
horse-drawn cart of all of these cut logs that like these men have been harvesting or whatever and he sees that this guy's having problems with them like a a few of them have fallen off so he's like can i help you and the guy doesn't say anything because presumably his tongue has been cut out but then nick cage starts helping him and in the act of helping him causes all of the logs to fall off (laughs) and then he gets all pissed off and leaves like oh thanks (laughs) for your help sir (laughs) (laughs) you came and made it worse then got pissed off and left (laughs) very helpful and and like there's so many dumb things like the, the 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 parts that are supposed to be suspenseful at one part he's like looking around in a barn i don't even remember what he was looking for he chased a girl in there Okay, or did he? Like, <laughs> right. is, is he imagining things? Who knows? But he chases a girl in there or something. And then uh, there's a very suspenseful moment when he, like, falls through a, a hole in the floor. Just apropos of nothing. Like, right. that's, not, that's, just, that's not suspense. It's just <laughs> a thing. And then it wasn't a trap. You know, yeah, you go snooping around in old barns, you might fall through the floor. These things happen. It's not a plot point in a movie. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. And there are other ones like that, too. I don't even... What I love is the bees. Are we going to talk yes. about the bees? Well, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. Like, another part where the music tells us that this is a very suspenseful part is when he just finds himself... Amongst all these beehives. Yes. Like, well, pay attention to where you're going, you stupid. (laughs) He's so dumb. He's allergic to bees, which is a point which is pressed home to us several times. Yeah. He's on his bike, and he's looking at something far off in the distance, and he just rolls his bike forward a little bit to bump a beehive, flips out, and instead of going back the way he came from runs further into the field with all the beehives and amongst all the bees. Like screaming and flailing about. (laughs) Falling down, then he wakes up and the doctor has picked him up and taken him to Sister Summer's Isle. So in the previous one, it was Lord Summer's Isle. Now it's Sister Summer's Isle's place where he's going to go meet Sister Summer's Isle. But wait, I also like this. So yeah, he is like, Attacked by the bees. So he wakes up. He's fine, but his clothes are off. Like, he still has his underclothes on. But the doctor is sitting there. Francis Conroy is sitting there, and he's like... When they brought me to you, you were near death, clearly. So I treated the danger in the old way. What? Like... (laughs) (laughs) What are those? He doesn't even want to know. What are the old ways? He doesn't even ask. I'm just thinking, like, I don't want to wake up with my clothes (laughs) off. And be told that I've been healed in the old ways. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm thinking of like, I, I remember I had to, uh, <laughs> personal story time, I had to at one point uh, get a colonoscopy. And I told Alan, because at like afterwards, he's like, how was it? I was like, it was fine. They knocked me out and I woke up. It was like nothing happened. They could have done anything to me. I have no idea. <laughs> That's what I was right. thinking with him. Like, ah. <laughs> oh, man. the old ways. I love it because, you know, he wakes up in her house and that's happened. And then he goes outside to talk to Sister Summer's Isle in the garden, surrounded by bees. Yeah. And then... They chat, and the whole time they're chatting, there's bees buzzing around, and he's occasionally slapping his neck and stuff. Then they go on a walk amidst the beehives. I'm like, Uh what? Why are you? I thought this was a big problem for you. 
Right. And it's and hilarious. And now he can just walk around amongst the bees. No this issue. part is so funny because at this point, like when they're walking amongst the bees, he's like pulling up his collar and like hiding it or like hiding his face in it. It just <laughs> yes. looks so stupid. It's really dumb. It's it's hilarious, but it's stupid. Uh, I do yeah. have to say, I mean, Ellen Burstyn took this part and ran with it. She's very regal. Uh, I just can't get over. I have no idea how old she is now or how old she was then, but just stunningly, stunningly beautiful. And, you know, seeing her out in amongst all these flowers and all this vegetation, she's in this long flowing gown. She just looks fantastic. And she's regal. She has a regal um, presence. And she kind of just doesn't put up with his nonsense or she remains very calm with him. Her performance in this role is not unlike Christopher Lee's performance in the first one. Well, I think it's a pale imitation of Fair. of Christopher Lee's Christopher Lee's conversation with the man in the previous movie is again almost word for word exactly the same, but it just feels better. It's more natural, it's whatever. This this feels like a, a woman saying lines and you know, she's also like the thing about Christopher Lee in the original. He's he's so loose and calm about it. Yeah, and because he's just explaining, like he has nothing to hide. This is what we do on the island, and he's almost a picture of patience. When this guy, who's this uptight Christian, you know, with his rigid belief system, who that is so offended by their ways on the island, you know, he's got to have extra patience, and he just he does that so naturally. This woman, you just feel is on the edge of, you know, she's just holding it in. See, and I, I felt like she treated him and talked to him like she doesn't have time for this nonsense. Like, yeah. It, almost as though any time he spoke, she would have preferred to have been rolling her eyes. Like, ugh. Exactly. Shut That's up. A, like, yeah. stupid man. <laughs> and she says something about, like, men having their place. And yeah. Summer's Isle explains the whole history of the island and talking about how like they make sacrifices to the great mother spirit. And she's telling this, like her ancestors did all of this. And I'm thinking it, it also, I think hurts the story to transplant this to the United States. Oh yeah. Because that kind of deep heritage, unless you transfer it from the old world we don't have that kind of history, really. No. Like, we don't, mm-hmm. we're not old enough to have that kind of history. Now, I do think that the implication was this was like old world European tradition that did get transplanted over here and changed in some way because they made this sacrifice for the harvest and it used to be a blood sacrifice, but now in the new world, they burn people, right? Isn't that what they that's said? That's how it is in the old movie. Yeah, that's kind of, well. In the old movie, there are different ways that they take care of the sacrifice, but the most effective or the, uh, is the burning, apparently, something like that. Gotcha. Anyway, oh. so uh, and she tells him that men are important for breeding. She says that procreation is the desire of the goddess, and he gives her this, he like proselytizes about murder. He's like, murder is murder. The law is the law. And you have to follow the law. She's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. And then he hops on his bicycle and gets out of there. <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> well, he does get permission to exhume the grave, and then he finds a doll inside. 
<laughs> and at that moment, he hears some crying coming from the crypt yeah. uh, nearby. And so he decides to go down into the crypt and investigate where that's coming from. And he finds a cardigan will with um, Rowan's initials on it or whatever. And so he decides to go swimming through the crypt. Yeah. And as he comes back around, it somebody closes the crypt door. Like it's the door. It's like a it's like a trap door in the floor, basically. Uh huh. Yeah. That gets closed on him and locks him in there. And he has his flashback or whatever. And then Willow just happens to be coming by, I guess. I guess. Whatever. It was probably her that locked him in. There. And comes down and saves him. Well, here's why. Why is somebody trying to kill him now? Why is anybody doing any of this? It doesn't make yeah. any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. They are leading him on this wild goose chase for no reason. She And, and then my favorite part <laughs> among many, she lets him out and he's like, go back to your house or whatever. And he says, something bad's about to happen. I can I feel, can it. feel <laughs> it. No, that's... Oh my God. So... But, Funny. but this is after he very imp- impassionately shows her the doll. This hers. Tell me. I yes, I, I think it's, yeah. How to get burned? How to get burned? I, How to get burned? How to get burned? I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And she's like, I don't know. Calm down. And 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 who cares? Like, right? I I don't know. <sighs> is that supposed to be some connection to the fire in? his dream like or or the accident in the beginning oh. like i'm i'm really questioning was that woman and that little girl in that car like did these people set that up i know right this is what i thought there'd be some connection but because i almost feel like that's maybe suggesting that they did but it doesn't i don't know it doesn't make any sense but something bad is about to happen he can feel it so he goes <laughs> back to summer's isle's house and he finds a gross old man in a bed and i was the man bee stung is that why he looks so gross I don't know. I, I think he. I think he was I supposed just, to be bee stung. I just love how he starts opening doors, opens the door, finds the weird guy in the bed, looks in. Oh, okay, and just yeah. keeps going. <laughs> yeah, and then in the next room, there's a naked young woman in a chair, just completely covered in bees. But then he stops looking because he doesn't find Summer's Isle lounging luxuriously <laughs> in going. her bed upstairs, attended right. by young women. <laughs> And then we get to... He couldn't be bothered to go up the stairs, I guess. No, he had seen enough. Something bad is going to happen. He has places to be. And so he goes out and he runs into that sister Rose again, the school teacher, and she's wearing a bird mask. And I'm like, thank God, because I knew this was the end. (laughs) I had been looking at the time. So, like, I can't... Okay, okay, thank God. 30 minutes left. Oh, my God. Thank God. Only 20 minutes left. And then we get to this part, and I'm like, oh, we're getting to the end, thank God. So she's in a bird mask, and she's ready to celebrate life and death, whatever that means. <laughs> and he pulls a gun on her and steals her bike. Yes! Step away from the bike. <laughs> and then he runs into these creepy old twins. There are tons of twins. What is with the twins? I don't understand the twin thing. I don't oh. either, but there are lots of them. Like Sister Rose has a twin, and there's some... These creepy twin sisters speak at the same time, but they only yes. have like two lines in the whole movie, and we only see them They twice. run into him, and it is he. 
<laughs> and he keeps running. And he like he goes to the pub and the men are in there, but they won't help. And that's what he says. And I remember this from the first one when he breaks into some lady's house. And he's like, I am going to search every inch of this town over the next three hours. <laughs> he proceeds to do that. And that's when he finds the uh, pilot. It's the pilot who he finds dead on the beach. Yes. Yes. They killed him. They, because Why did they, they kill him? Because he brought him there. But they wanted they wanted him there. That's true. So why would they kill him? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so then he keeps running around. He punches out Sister Beach. And Summer Isle now is leading this ceremony. And she's all painted ceremoniously. And she's got her hair down. And everybody's in costume in these oh. animal costumes. It's a pale imitation of the first movie. It is. We're all... Where all of this is so nicely set up because he goes to the library and he reads this book about the ancient traditions of this and it lays out like three or four things. The fool, the leader who dances in front and the um, the swordsman with the star who like cut the head off of someone. And mm-hmm. so it, even that bit is full of tension and of course a whole bunch of irony because he ends up in the fool costume. Right, right. At the end of it, you know, he's like the fool, like literally. It's quite cool. You're right. I had, I had forgotten about that. I, I oh. will say that from an aesthetic perspective, I really liked these costumes. I, I think that uh, the costumes in the original were probably more real to life. Like these look like movie, you know, they're, they're very intricate. But anyway, so it's all this big ceremony and it, much of this is just like the original. He sees the girl Rowan tied to a post as though she's going to be burned. He, he's in a bear costume. Yeah. <laughs> full bear costume which i mean good in that yeah that would fully disguise you but again just as a grown man in a suit on a bicycle looks kind of ridiculous a grown man running around in a full body bear suit it it just looks silly he comes running out of the woods and just joins the line you know (laughs) with no explanation of where he got it what know this or whatever like he's supposed to be disguised but you know and he kind of like lowers the jaw to talk to willow real quick because he still thinks she's on his side and so he's sneaking into this line and then he just leaves the jaw down so you can clearly see his face which i guess is painted black or brown or something but when he takes the costume off later, there's no makeup on his face at all. Oh yeah. The other thing when he meets Willow, he's like, <laughs> "I thought I told you. I thought I told you to go back to the house." She looks at him and goes, "I had to come." <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, he God. sees he sees Rowan, you know, tied to the tree like you said, and he runs up there by himself in the bear costume and punches out. <laughs> another lady with this huge right hook this bear just punches this woman in the face hilarious (laughs) and he grabs no you can't imagine it's it's it is just how it sounds and it's pretty darn funny and he grabs her and he picks her up and he starts running through the woods as he did in the first one and then he puts her down so that he can take off his bear costume and they can run together but she runs ahead and he can't catch her and she gets ahead and you see that she runs right into the arms of Mother Summer's Isle or whatever. And Willow is standing right there next to Mother Summer's Isle. And turns out, you know, she is Summer Isle's daughter. And this was all set up from the beginning. God, she has so many lines here that are... uh, It's just ridiculous. Something like, 
the game of the hunter hunting the hunted. What? Mm-hmm. And, and Willow's in on it, and she's, uh, Summer's Isle says, it's your destiny. We require a stranger, but one who is connected to us by blood. <laughs> so like I said, this was a long game. Apparently they sent Willow out into the world to get knocked up so that she could come back, and I guess seven years later or whatever, then they would lure him back. But the thing we- is... He has to come of his own free will. So she says, she says, you have come of your own free will to keep this appointment with the wicker man. That's fine. But why this whole cat and mouse thing on the island? Like he came to the island of his own free will. Why didn't you just have him show up the next day? (laughs) which is the day when you need to kill him. As soon as he gets off the plane, be like, welcome, now you die. Like I don't understand what this whole charade is. It doesn't make any sense. What is the point? That's why this whole, all of these words in the mouths of these characters in this situation are just, they fall flat. You know, they might be pulled from the old movie, but they just don't have the same effect. They don't even make the same sense. Because in the old movie, this is like, a revelatory moment and you're just like oh my god like he really did come here of his free will he stayed of his own free will they were almost actively well they were actively encouraging him to leave right and all this the stuff that happens to him on the island there's testing involved right because they needed a virgin and so you know he's being tempted by willow but he doesn't succumb to that and so you know all of this is sort of like to affirm that they have the right, right person right. that fits all of the requirements that they need here it's just the guy that they lured and i guess he came of his own free will because he you know wasn't dragged kicking and streaming to the island in the first place you know that's it right so it's just lame yeah it doesn't make any sense and so he points his gun at Summer's Isle and pulls the trigger but it's empty and Willow shows that she has the bullets and she drops them all. Right. I guess she's had those in her hand the whole time. <laughs> Just ready right. to show them. <laughs> and at this point now we saw the theatrical release yeah. um, and at this point it kind of just cuts to the crowd or maybe it cuts to black or something and you only you only hear what's happening he he calls them bitches you bitches this is murder and you're doing it for nothing killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey no 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 Ah! I'm not one of you I don't believe in your gods! Ah, my legs! My legs! <laughs> Just hearing this, like it sounds like it was recorded ADR. Oh, they just laid it over this. It's, I mean, obviously not stock footage. That's what it looks like. Like, I, I, I guess maybe they cut this for the rating or something because it's different in the unrated version. It's laugh out loud funny. Yeah, it's really, really bad. And then you see him. They've revealed the Wicker Man to him, which is huge. And they pulley him up there by the ankles. The daughter, Rowan, lights the fire. And everybody in the crowd starts chanting, the drone must die. And I didn't even know what that meant. I had to look it up. But drone bees, the their only function is to mate. They don't even have a stinger. Um, mm. they, they just mate. And then when they do mate, their 
penis <laughs> tears off and uh, take just like you know bees with stingers, like their insides are connected to the stinger and they sting and their insides get ripped out. Same thing happened with the drone's dick. Like it it gets it falls off and tears all their insides out. So after uh, mating, they die. So apparently the drone must die and he screams as he burns and Dr. Moss takes a picture of the burning and the wicker man collapses. And I remember the ending of the original was so great. Like it was just the best, like one of the best shots I've ever seen where the camera just kind of pans up and back on the wicker man as you see it burning and you just kind of, and then it, fades in on the setting sun in the background Mm -hmm. oh it just looks so great well here it just collapses and then in the version that we saw which is the theatrical version i think that the unrated version was released like on dvd and blu-ray but we'll talk about that in a second in this version cut to black six months later and honey who we've not mentioned played by lily sobieski that was a blast from the past haven't seen her in a while Mm, yeah honey and willow pick up James Franco and Jason Ritter in a bar. And (laughs) Honey says to James Franco, when you leave here, where are you going? He's like, I don't know, I guess home. And she's like, when you go, will you take me with you? And then you hear bees buzzing and you hear Malice, the Nick Cage is, ah! (laughs) In the background. And then that's the end. Oh. oh, and I thought that was kind of funny, but did you watch the uh, the other ending? The cut? Oh, you mean the beat? The beat yeah. one? Yeah, the yeah. One, <laughs> the one that has memes all over? About yes. It? Well, that was the thing. Like, I, I finished the movie. I was like, wait, where, where is, is that? that scene? Did mm. I miss it? No, it's, it's the unrated ending. Nicholas Cage just basically gets a cage put over the top of his head, and then they pour bees down in it. He just yeah. goes crazy. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! My eyes! Ah! Ah! And then he dies, but then they bring him back to life with an EpiPen. <laughs> so they can burn him alive. That was nice. That was considerate. Oh. Why? I don't understand like, why they even burn him. Why? Or or why the bees? Like, just to torture him? Is it a ceremonial thing? They know he yeah. hates bees. At least it kind of makes sense, like, I guess, if they're going to do the bee thing and he's allergic to bees and whatnot, if you kill him with the bees, that kind of makes... Like, can't, right. that, be, can't that be your sacrifice? You right, know? right. Then why do you have to burn him? I don't yeah. know. I And I don't know which ending I like better. I actually kind oh. of liked the concept of them sending out these young women and and sexing them up and having them lure men you know to mate or whatever i kind of liked that idea it it seemed i don't know the whole thing's stupid so to say that it seems silly is redundant the whole thing is dumb you know we've seen that kind of thing before like you know vampire movies sure all kinds of stuff hostile type thing logically speaking I guess they're just prepping guys in case they have a bad harvest. Like, they don't know they're going to have a bad harvest. I don't know. I I think they need these girls. They need these little blonde girls for their harvest. So I think they're just sending girls out into the world to get knocked up and come back. And then seven years later, they can lure these men for sacrifices. They should be hooking up with blonde guys, really. Yeah, right? They want to keep them blonde. I couldn't believe, like, like, this very last scene, which is two or three minutes, I'm like, is that James Franco? Is that Jason Ritter? I know, right? (laughs) 
That was a nice little treat. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, yeah, like I honestly was kind of looking forward to seeing this just because it is notorious. I, I mean, it, it spawned so many memes and it's just kind of a joke, really. And Nick Cage gets pissed off about it when people talk about it like that because he's really proud of it and proud of his performance in it. It just seems like somewhere along the line people weren't on the same page like if yeah. he if he thought that he was going over the top and and going for kind of dark comedy it doesn't read that way no. the rest of it doesn't read that way the tone is just all over the place like i i just don't know what to make of it and even the filmmaking, I think, is just okay. I think that a lot of it was saved by the fact that it was filmed in really beautiful locations that were interesting to look at. But there mm. was nothing particularly innovative or skillful about the way that it was shot. The score, I don't remember anything about it. Like, usually, you know, we can point to some things and say, well, they tried. This was good. This was good. This just seems like a misfire on pretty much every level. I don't yeah. get it. And I get why it's been the subject of ridicule. But really, it wasn't fun to watch. No. I, I wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to be so bad it's good. I wanted to laugh with it and at it. But it just wasn't. It just wasn't fun. I was bored. Yeah. I think I did myself a disservice by... By watching the original again before I watched uh, this. Yeah, probably. That, that made this even more painful. I mean, it helped because, like I said, I could, I could recognize that so much of the dialogue was the same. But it just emphasized how much worse it was. and It just exposed all those plot holes. It made you wonder why. And it's just like, my God, don't take something so great and make something so... Like you said, it's like a mockery of it. That's, it's so bad that it's sort of a mocking it. And that kind of pisses me off. So I guess we found like a spot where I just don't care for remakes in this way. If they're going to do this, I hate for somebody's first experience with The Wicker Man to be this movie. Because I don't think I could ever convince them to go back and watch the original. And then I think if they did go back and watch the original, because kind of like more or less the ending's been spoiled for them. Right. It just taints their viewing of it, you know, and it's not going to be as impactful. Yeah, I think you're right. It's really a shame. I mean, I guess the good news is this movie is notorious. It, it has a reputation. So people know, I, I think. Yeah, going into it. I mean, maybe I guess your casual viewer who's like, hmm, I like Nick Cage. Let's look for a Nick Cage movie I haven't mm. seen. Maybe they wouldn't know about the notoriety, but I think anybody who likes horror, who's familiar with horror, they, they know about the notoriety of this movie and that people consider it ridiculous. So right. hopefully they would go in with that perspective or they would just say, well, I'll check out the original. Hopefully, but... <laughs> I really hope so. Well, thanks again for another episode. It's been a really wonderful month uh, doing remakes. want to really thank our patrons for uh, the idea. It's fun. And we hope that we uh, did you good. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash chainsawpodcast. Find us on the web. Just Google two guys in a chainsaw podcast and you'll find our website. Check out our Instagram page. If, if you're on Instagram, we're just trying to beef that up, put clips up and things, make things a little more shareable to try to reach out to another audience. Uh, please do that. One of, the pa- one of the things that our patrons have allowed us to do is get a little bit better about promoting ourselves out there on social media. So you'll see a lot more little goodies here and there as well. 
that'll be shareable with your friends. Please, please, if you enjoyed this podcast, share us with some friends and write a review if you're so inclined on any one of your favorite podcast hosting sites. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. The two guys in a chainsaw. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah!